Welcome to a special Wednesday night edition of BAMS Radio. Bit of trivia for longtime listeners. This is when we were live on Blog Talk for a while. But unfortunately, this one is not live. This one is, frankly, kind of somber. If you haven't checked Twitter or your cell phone or a computer, Alabama head coach Nick Saban has decided to retire effective immediately. And going into next season, Alabama's going to have a new head coach, a whole bunch of new bodies floating around. And frankly, at the end of this show, you're going to know as much as we know. But I am joined by William Redfish Barger. Let me see if I can get this right, Fish. I always do this. From 89 to 93, a member of the 92 National Championship football team and uh, our go-to guy for talking about offensive line and talking everything football. Fish, I know we were talking before we started recording, and I'm, as I say, it's a somber feeling. I hold nothing against Nick Saban. You know, Nick, if you, you've, you have earned every benefit of every doubt ever, so I, I'm not going to get mad at you for deciding to ride off into the sunset. But at the same time, damn, this sucks, Fish. Well, I was going to tell you, Thomas, if the two teenage girls that were working the counter at the gas station I just stopped at knew about it, I think it's pretty safe to say anyone that would listen to this show already knows about it. Well, thank you, thank you all for listening. We appreciate it, and uh, sorry we're going to kind of, kind of do. Yeah, this is not going to be a fun show. But you know, just some statistics to set the tenor of our conversation. Nick Saban retires with a 297-71 and one career record. Seven national titles, 11 SEC titles, the most recent being that beating of Georgia this, you know, what, two months ago. Five-time SEC Coach of the Year, two-time Paul Bear Bryant Award winner, Walter Camp Coach of the Year, and twice AP Coach of the Year. We could have a debate about the best to ever do it. Um, I can tell you that my mom will knock my head off if she listens to this show and I say anything but Bear Bryant. So we're not going to have that discussion. But, you know, those are just kind of setting the stage for this whole this, this whole program. But, Fish, you know, you've said, you know, we're, and we'll fold this in, I promise. I'm not completely clueless as a host. You took part in a coaching search. You were on the team then. What's your initial reaction to Nick Saban deciding to ride off into the sunset? Well, let me say this, Thomas. I, I don't even think, and I tell people this, that try and – get me to, uh, you know, engage in that debate about comparing Saban to Brian. It's not even a debate. I mean, you know, there weren't scholarship limitations. Um, you know, Coach Bryant was, you know, infamous for, you know, giving John Ryan Smith a tennis scholarship and, and you know, putting him on the football team. There was a lot, lot more um, – uh, latitude, I should say, with the rules. Um, you know, it's 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 Nick Saban. Um, you know, I was recruited out of high school by Pat Dye, Bo Schembechler. Um, you know, the list goes on and on for you know anybody that was a high level, you know, college football coach in the late eighties. Um, my favorite one, and I always in you know anger. Uh, Alabama fans, when I say this, my favorite one was Patrick Payne Dye. Um, but I, I, I think that 
and we probably even talked about this on the show a couple years ago. Um, I felt like because Nick is so old school that when the NIL and the portal became a thing, I knew he wasn't going to like it. I knew he was going to have a tough time stomaching it. And I felt like, I, I felt like that he would hang on and put up with it long enough to beat Bear Bryant's win total at Alabama. Um, that, that was my honest thoughts. Um, based on some stuff that, you know, we talked about on Sunday, um, which I can't discuss on this show, I did think that maybe 24 was going to be his final season. Um, learned in the last thing's been in the works since November, and I, I'm not going to speculate on the exact issue. Uh, but I do feel comfortable enough to say that I do think a health concern for Miss Terry has probably expedited what I thought might happen at the end of next season um, to the end of this season um, because it's 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 been in the works I know for a fact since the SEC championship game but I have a sneaking suspicion it goes all the way back to November. And let me let me jump in here, Fish. Um, if there's one thing that Nick Saban has always had, just as a coach, and really as a person, is an extraordinary attention to detail. I'll tell you a funny story, and I'm sure we'll get to the nostalgia. You know, in history, history is just nostalgia after a couple of drinks. But we'll get to the the nostalgia stories of Nick Saban's tenure at Alabama at some point in the show. But if you remember. Alabama goes to Missouri right after Missouri joins the SEC. And there is God's gift to thunderstorms that lights off. Everybody. I remember. Yeah. Everybody is in the locker room because something about six foot five guys standing in a metal bowl with lightning is not a good idea. Strange how thermodynamics and electricity and magnetism work. But uh, Barrett Jones then like turns, gets in the locker room, and Nick Saban has a plan for if we have to go into the locker room because of bad weather, and it just runs on rails. Like, not even a problem, runs on rails. That is to say that that detail-oriented discussion, that detail-oriented nature, is not just the thunderstorm plan. It's in everything. Like, it's, it's not a bug. It's a feature for Nick Saban. And if you believe that this, if Nick Saban wasn't heavily involved in who will be the next person, who will, you know, be able to take, carry on his legacy to Alabama, and he's not going to be Nick Saban, and we'll talk about that in a bit too, you're insane. You know, everyone says they were surprised. And I was too, but this has been in the works for a minute. But what were you saying, Fish? I'm sorry. No, no, I'm going to get to the, the, the detailed stuff second. And, it, and it's not an attempt to try and one-up you, but it's, it comes from multiple people that I have, you know, had a relationship with over the years that actually worked for Nick at Alabama. Um, but I, you know, I was told – I want to say when the the 
the rumors of him going to Texas popped up. Um, and and if, if that's the case, then the person that told me this is former Alabama outside linebackers coach Lance Thompson. Um, he, he told me that, you know, if and when Nick finally decided to either take another head coaching job, you know, go sit on the set at ESPN or go watch the duck shit in the yard at the lake house at Lake Burton. Three, three things were going to happen. Now, he felt like the longer that Coach stayed at Alabama, the more this was going to become a reality. Um, you know, he's got a lot more power um, now than he had when the Texas, you know, rumors were circulating around. And they weren't rumors. That was a legit possibility. But I was told, and I've since been told by others um, that, that know him well, um, A, he would give Alabama um, plenty of advance notice. B, he would be heavily involved in handpicking who the successor would be. And C, odds are it would be somebody that had worked for him in the past. Well, I don't think you're one-upping me at all when you say that. I'm just glad. No, that no, that's not what that's not what I was. Yeah. No, what I what I was saying that I didn't want to one-up you on because it's a great point that you brought up. But this this in, in a small, you know, microscope type of a way, this will just give you some insight into just how detail-oriented the man was from day one. So Nick was looking for. A local guy, when I say local, you know, a high school coach in Alabama, because um, this is how he did it. He had done it at all of his other previous stops, um, that he could give the title to, you know, director of player personnel. And depending on what he needs out of that position, you know, it could be that you're the um, – the bad cop with the players. It could be that you're Nick's chauffeur. Um, it could be that, you know, it's, it's just an extra title to have for somebody that's involved in recruiting. It's a catch-all. Well, correct. Well, the first guy, and, and, and he called former Alabama quarterback Freddie Kitchens and asked him for a recommendation. And... Freddie told him, he said, Coach, my best friend's the perfect guy for the job, and he's 45 minutes down the road from you at the best high school program in the state, Hoover High School. His name's Jeremy Pruitt. So Jeremy gets the job. And, and you know, with, with Nick taking the job, um, you know, in January, he had less than a month before he signed his first recruiting class. And, and Jeremy is actually the guy that, uh, at the time, Josh Chapman was committed to Auburn. And, you know, the first recruiting meeting that they had, you know, Chapman was like the fourth or fifth choice by the, uh, the shoeless staff as a, you know, a nose guard type guy. And, and, you know, Jeremy walked right up to the board and started tapping his nameplate. And he said, Coach, this guy's better than any nose guard you've got on the roster right now. you got to go flip him. And uh, he said, let's go tomorrow. And, and so they did. Well, fast forward, you know, to 
the following recruiting cycle, um, you know, which was the Julio Jones class. And I can't remember it, – it, 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 they weren't going to see Julio, but they were going to see somebody, you know, another big-time recruit in that class. And so Jeremy's job was to update all of the player profile information. And I'm not talking about 40 times and bench presses and, you know, all the obvious stuff. He wanted to know if, you know, Johnny Ray Smith was still dating Denise or if he had a new girlfriend named Tiffany. He wanted to know if Johnny Ray Smith was still fishing with a um, pumpkin seed plastic worm or if he had switched to a June bug colored worm. I'm talking about just the, the craziest, you know, you know, what was their favorite band, uh, you know, the Backstreet Boys, or had they moved on to NSYNC? I mean, it was crazy stuff. And, and, you know, so when they would get on the plane and fly to the city on the plane and when Pruitt would be driving him to the house, Mick was basically like, you know, doing a, a crash study to see if, you know, anything had changed from the last time he had talked to the player. Um, and I and I just thought that was, you know, an insane amount of, you know, intimate details that I think your average college football head coach wouldn't have even have wasted his time with. Um, so, that you know, th- there's a reason why he was so successful um, at Alabama. And, you know, I, I, I feel like you, Thomas, I mean, this, this thing totally caught me off of, you know, caught me out of left field. Um, I was totally convinced that, you know, this, you know, school started back today. And and so it's, it's like standard operating procedure that today is really the official kickoff date of the fourth quarter program. And, you know, there's always a meeting on the first day of school. I never in my wildest dreams did I think that a rumor that started at 730 this morning on an Auburn website would turn out to be true. Well, and you're absolutely right. You know, I'm sitting here and talking to some Bama faithful. You know, you're, you're we're we're in certain groups, and you're in certain groups, and I'm in certain groups. And oh, there's a spring kickoff meeting. You know, trying to set the tone for the season. Yada yada yada. And I'm like, oh, okay, rock on. Nick Saban's doing Nick Saban things. And uh, I look up from my afternoon of meetings, and I'll spare you the details, but. A friend of mine texted me, Nick Saban to retire. I was like, um, well, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> uh, what? So, so. Well, you know. let me say this. When, when I saw, did, did you see who originated the tweet? Oh, when I saw Chris Lowe, I'm like, oh, this is true. It's happened. Yeah. It came uh, from Chris Lowe, Chris Lowe had a special relationship with Saban. And when I saw it was him, I was like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> it is true. Yeah. And, you know, some friends of mine are like, maybe Chris Lowe's just trying to break a story. I'm like, no. If, if No. <laughs> the, there's a non-zero chance that Chris Lowe got a phone call from Nick Saban saying, hey, you can tweet this. <laughs> oh, there's, there, there's two people that I know um, that, that had a way, way more professional relationship with Nick than your average Alabama beat reporter, and that's Chris Lowe and, and the now-deceased Cecil Hurt. Absolutely. So, 
all right, Nick Saban has chosen to retire, and we, we've kind of we, – at the risk of burying the lead for 15 minutes, the successor is chosen. I'm just going to give you some names that uh, I've been told, and that doesn't mean that they are right. I want to be very, very clear with this. But people have discussed Dan Lanning out at Oregon. They've discussed Lane Kiffin at uh, Ole Miss, excuse me. Somebody has thrown D'Amico Ryan's name in the NFL, which I have serious questions about, but okay. Uh, folks have said Dabo Swinney, which please heavens no. Like, please, please no. But we've already said that the new coach is roughly in place. The plan's in place. The discussions have happened. It is Wednesday at 6.25 p.m., January the 10th, 2024. A lot of the rumors now are the new head coach is in place by, frankly, the time Saturday. we should have been recording. By Saturday. So by the time we've been recording, we can have a reaction show. So, hey, maybe the producer knows a thing or two. Hashtag cool. Anyhow, uh, joking aside. Well, let me say this, Thomas, and, and you know, I'm never going to name who it is. But a former teammate of mine that has a son on the team um, texted me uh, 30 minutes after Saban or Chris Lowe made the announcement. And Alabama Athletic Director Greg Byrne told the players in a players-only meeting, which tells me they've already got a pretty good idea if they don't already have him locked up. But he said they would have a new head coach in the next 72 hours. So, and that, that that's – Perfect for what I was after. And I'm just going to ask from – and don't spoil it. You know, who, who, are, your, who are your candidates to really zone in on? I, I, again, well, I – I can tell you two that I know that aren't coming that you mentioned. Okay. D'Amico Rhymes isn't coming. Didn't think so. And Steve Sarkeesian is staying at Texas. And to, to illuminate fans, this is what we mean with the succession plan is in place. What was the thing when, when a Nick Saban leaves, chooses to retire, is not fired, chooses to retire? There's a list of folks to get calls made. And, yep. and Sarkeesian, you know, Nick Saban's never going to stop you from taking a job that's an upgrade. Sarkeesian from Alabama offensive coordinator to Texas head coach, clear upgrade. But a call needs to be made to Sarkeesian's agent or maybe to Sarkeesian himself saying, hey, you want to come coach at Alabama versus coaching at Texas. What you Based on what you just said, Sark's off the list. Uh, D'Amico Ryans, for fans that aren't really big in the NFL, he got the Texans from brutally bad to the playoffs this year. At least I think that's right. I haven't paid enough attention to the NFL the past week or two. Well, and, and something else to add to that, and I personally would love for D'Amico Ryans to be the next head coach at Alabama. I but agree. you got to look at this from a financial standpoint. Um, you know, D'Amico's made plenty of money playing football. He's already got an NFL player retirement plan. And I think he's inside of five years from getting a second one as a coach. Sure. And the quality of life. And, and you know, this comes from my relationship with Freddie Kitchens. Um, you know, Freddie never wanted to leave the NFL until he didn't have a choice to. 
because when his best friend, Jeremy Pruitt, was locked in a freaking hotel room uh, every night of the week during the May evaluation period, Freddie's fat ass was getting drunk and playing golf every day. So there are worse things. It's a total. <laughs> it's a total. It's a totally different lifestyle. Sure. And and, and certainly it's been amplified. Um. You, you know, recruiting during Nick Saban's tenure at Alabama had gone from. And Nick Saban is the one that did this. You know, it, it went from a six month out of the year type of an enterprise to a 365 day a year enterprise. Yeah. Um, you know, if you work for Nick Saban, the only night of the week during the season that you ate dinner with your wife and kids were Thursday, some of those late kickoffs on a Saturday night that we all hate, you know, those coaches didn't get home until one or two o'clock in the morning. Yep. You know, because when they got through with their coaching duties, they had to talk to recruits and their families till the wee hours in the morning. Yep. You know, that doesn't go on. You know, there, there is a period, you know, in the NFL, you know, yeah, they meet about, you know, uh, off-season trades and the NFL draft. But, you know, from the, the, the NFL that doesn't really kick off, you know, in a bad way for the coaches again until the OTA uh, stuff starts in May. Right. And even at that, it's really not full-time until training camp opens in, in July. Um, so it's just a totally different lifestyle. Now the money's not as good, but it's still pretty good. And when you compare it to, and when you compare, you know, Freddie kitchens being the offensive coordinator under Bruce Arians at the Arizona Cardinals to Freddie kitchens being the potential offensive coordinator at Alabama. And I used to laugh, you know, every time, you know, Nick would be looking for an offensive coordinator. And Freddie's name would get mentioned. I said, he ain't coming. You know, he's been in the NFL um, since he left. You know, Freddie's first NFL job. I mean, think about this now. Freddie went from being a tight ends coach, I think, for Nick Saban, maybe even a graduate assistant, to being a, a coach for Bill Parcells with the Dallas Cowboys. So he went to working from Nick Saban to, you know, going to work for one of the best head coaches in the NFL all time. Not a bad problem to have. And, and, and then you, and then you, and then you add Bruce Arians to the resume. It's pretty impressive. Oh, absolutely. And, and so with that in mind, I'm going to pin you down on this. And this is, this is your opinion. You look at the lexicon of people that might take the job at the university of Alabama. You are Greg Byrne. You were about to offer a contract. You have functionally um, functionally infinite resources, which <laughs> I mean, you're you're you know you have five. There might be five schools that can outdo you. So we'll go with that. Who do you want to be the next Alabama head coach, Redfish? Well, I, I got to be honest with you. If I'm, you know, if you just ask me. And you look at some factors. Um, while it's a this to me, it would be a slam dunk hire. A lot of people would say maybe it's a little risky because he's only been a, a head coach in the NFL for one year. 
Um, I, I, I would love to see D'Amico Ryans, um, but that's not going to happen. Um, so now we're circling back around to, um, you know, people that are gettable that have worked for Nick, you know, if what I was told was true. Um, and, and, and another thing, Thomas, that we probably need to discuss later on is guess what Alabama's going to have to deal with for the next 30 days. Transfers. That's coming. Believe me. Oh, no, it's, 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 it's already in effect. Yeah, no, I mean, that's the, the, <laughs> the players choosing to move on because we've seen that with Ryan yeah. Williams already. No, 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 no. He's not on the team yet. Yeah. The, the, the portal applies to the kids that are currently on the roster. Right. That can be, you know, tampered with and go somewhere else. Oh, yeah. No, this is so. So I'm going to I'm going to post the show and I'll just record talking about this. I'm going to post the show as fast as I can tonight. If you were listening to it tomorrow morning, it may have changed. But don't think for a second that the Alabama roster, which 2022, one of the most talented rosters ever. 2023, one of the most talented rosters ever. 2024 would still be exceedingly talented. I'm not going to argue whatever with the 247 talent composite. Anyhow, in a lot of ways, it's open season. And, you know, you, the smart listener, would say, but, 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 well, Ryan Williams, who we were all going gaga over, he has already decided to decommit from the University of Alabama. I don't blame him because this is a seismic change, but – He's not going to be the only player, either recruit who signed their national letter of intent in December or current player who just doesn't think the new thing is going to be as good as the old thing, decides to move on and look elsewhere. Like, I guess here's the way I'd put it, Fish, and back me up on this. If you're an Alabama fan, buckle up because it's going to be – it might be an interesting next few weeks as the new staff kind of coalesces and players choose to move on. Am I wrong? No, not at all, but I will throw a caveat in there. I, I think, and it's always been this way with Ryan Williams. Um, and by the way, as we're sitting here talking, and this would not happen anywhere else other than the haunted house on the plains. After the Ryan Williams decommitment, they have rolled Tumor's corners. Whatever. I don't want to hear if Auburn's yeah. a, I don't want to hear little brother. I don't want to hear an Auburn fan tell me they're little brother or not after that crap. I mean, if you view this state as a zero-sum game where everything bad for Alabama helps Auburn, sorry, here, I've got an L for you. I need you to hold it. Uh, it, uh, I, you, you should have held it since Isaiah Bond did Isaiah Bond things in late November. But we're going to leave that there because – And in other news real quick, Thomas, I just received a picture of Nick Saban's statue outside of Bryant-Denny Stadium, and it has been loaded up with 20-ounce bottles of Coca-Cola, bouquets of roses, and – at least in the picture that I was sent, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven boxes of Little Debbie cakes. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. So, well, somebody said somebody the, the guy that sent it to me said Staben's uh, statue has already been trashed. I don't think that's trash. That's 
people paying tribute. I was about to say, I I would not want to trash. And I don't think Nick Saban would view it as as being trashed. Yeah. I I don't think there's enough bourbon in Kentucky for me to trash Nick Saban's statue. Don't put an Auburn jersey on that statue tonight because Lordy mercy. (laughs) Hope you got insurance. But Harvey will come back from the dead and haunt your dreams. Yeah, pretty much. So, so, so but going back to the question that you asked. Yes. Thank you. Go ahead. Um, and I'm and I'm sir and I'm circling back around to what I said about the criteria that that Nick Saban would go through when he did retire, and I think that the 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 the. The, the two last ones, um, you know, let's go ahead and eliminate, you know, that he would give the university plenty of notice. I, I feel like he's somewhere between 60 and 90 days worth of notice at this point. Um, you know, the second one was um, that he would be heavily involved in, in, you know, helping choose who his successor would be. Um, when I give you a couple of names, um, that's going to come true. Um, and, and it's also going to go back to, um, you know, people that have worked for him in the past. Um, based on, you know, everything that I've been able to gather from, you know, sources and, you know, stuff that's out there on social media, um, I think two people that possibly may have even already have been contacted and interviewed are Oregon head coach Dan Lanning. Um, and Ole Miss head coach Lane Kiffin. Um, and, and I say those in a particular order because I think they are in that order. Um, you know, for the listeners that don't know, and, and, and I think this is a plus if you think about it, you know, Dan Lanning was, you know, a graduate assistant coach at Alabama. But Kirby Smart saw something in Dan Lanning during his short tenure at Alabama that he liked. And so, you know, when Kirby went to Georgia, um, you know, he, he plucked Dan Lanning and, you know, he ended up being Kirby's defensive coordinator. So if in fact it turns out to be Dan Lanning, um, I, I, I can't, you know, he's a young guy, he's a defensive guy. Um, you know, he's recruited, you know, the, the, the Southeast for a number of years under Kirby Smart, um, you know, I think that would be an excellent choice. Now, you're going to have people that are going to say, oh, that's never going to happen. He, he's got a $20 million buyout at Oregon. So? Well, guess what? Alabama's already got $60 million allocated that they were planning on continuing to pay Nick Saban throughout the duration of his current contract. If that's who Greg Byrne really thinks is the best option for Alabama going forward, you take the twenty million out of the sixty that was owed to Nick Saban, pay the buyout, and move on. Well, and let me jump in with that. Um, the other part of this, I'm not saying you're wrong. I actually agree with you. The other part of this is in the next fiscal year, the next calendar. Let's not call it fiscal calendar year. Texas and Oklahoma joined the SEC. That enormous, enormous new uh, SEC ESPN contract comes in to take the place of the bargain bin CBS, uh, you know, the, 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 you know, the 
prime time window slot that's been the same for 30 years almost. Correct. The college football playoff gets bigger, which means the payouts are bigger. It's not going to be a question of money. Now, it might that's be a right. question of money if you're getting into the $100, $150 million range. But at the same time, how many of those are there out there? Now, that's right. You know, and, and that's that to me, if if the argument is the buyout's too high and you're not hearing nine figures, hold the phone. Like, the, just just stop. That's, that's not going to be a thing. Maybe they prorate the buyout. Maybe they figure something out. But that's not going to be the thing. When I, talk, when I think about the two coaching candidates you talk about, Dan Lanning, Lane Kiffin, um, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I know a lot of people like Lane Kiffin. I'm not a Lane Kiffin guy because of folk, fans are very quick to forget how Lane Kiffin left the University of Alabama. I can't tell um, the um, Well, I mean, Lane, Lane Kiffin didn't leave Alabama voluntarily, Thomas. Lane um, Kiffin's actions fought, got him punted out of here. That's right. That's right. That's what that I mean. being said, That being said, though, I will throw a caveat in there. Um, just in the last two and a half years, um, the, the and, and you know what's so funny about this? It's funny and sad because Lane Kiffin was told by Nick Saban to go on and 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 go uh, go to FAU or whatever it's called that he went to, yeah, Florida FAU. Atlantic. Yep. Um, because he stayed out drunk all night the night before the playoff game with Washington. I've and heard a slightly he different up, story, but fair enough. Uh, well, this this is trust me, this is the gospel. And it's even funnier when I tell you who his running partner was for the night. Um, oh, boy. I'm he, not drunk enough for this. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe you need to start. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> but, but, but uh, and don't get me wrong. You know, it's, it's, this is a problem uh, that, that really um, has permeated the game of college football for, since its inception. Um, you know, Lane Kiffin is not the first college football coach to stay out all night on a, on a drunken bender, um, and show up for work the next day. Um, you know, there was a pretty good head coach at Alabama that had the same problem. That being said, you know, Lane does have some skeletons in his closet, but he got sober about two and a half years ago. And, and has really turned his life around, in my opinion. And, and I do think that he is one of a handful of guys that if I had to pluck out of thin air, that, that I do think could handle, especially that he's, you know, now that he's sober, that he could handle the, you know, in, in, in a certain sense, you know, if this had been three and a half, four years ago, this wouldn't even been of an issue because this 30-day portal transfer wouldn't have been in play. Yeah. Because whoever, <coughs> excuse me, would have followed Nick Saban three years ago would have inherited a loaded roster. Now, they still might, but with this 30-day, you know, portal deal, it may not be as loaded. We'll have to wait and see how just how bad the carnage is. But But I do think... 
because of who raised Lane Kiffin, you know, one of the greatest defensive coordinators of all time in Monty Kiffin, who is on Lane's staff at Ole Miss, you know, a, a special assistant to the head coach, um, and, and has also always been a heavy drinker. I, I do think Lane has, now, now that he is sober, um, I do think Lane would be one of the few people um, that would have the the mental toughness and a little bit of swagger and ego um, to, to navigate the, the obstacles that would come to whoever follows Nick Saban as the, the head coach. I agree. Um, I, I mean, but look, there – uh, let, let me just jump in. I'm sorry. It's not that You're I – You're good. I, it's not that I disagree with Lane Kiffin being on the list. It's that I think the conversation is going to coalesce to be Lane Kiffin 1A, Dan Lanning 1B. And I don't agree with that. Like, no, no, no. I think you got it reversed. Right. But I'm, I'm telling, like, I, I have read conversations where people are like, Oh, because Lane Kiffin's done the thing and Dan Lanning hasn't done the thing. Lane Kiffin's the guy. No, I'm telling you that if I had, you know, dictatorial powers over college football and, you know, there's some coaches that are untouchable. They're not going to stay in college unless they go to the NFL. Or they're not going to stay in coaching unless they go to – the only thing – the only job they're taking in college is if they leave for an NFL job, similar to what Nick Saban did with the Dolphins from LSU. Of that available pool, my top guy is Dan Lanning. And I don't really do, – do I think that Lanning has some seasoning that needs to happen? Yes. I, I think it's a little – I think, I think it, it, it's not a great mark on him that he struggled with Washington this past year. But he's been a head coach for two seasons, and he's, he understands the attention to detail thing. The notion that that I can't get out of my head when it comes to Lanning, or and Lane Kiffin knows this too, but it comes down to attention to detail, like you said before. Like, look, I I, I understand that your att- attention to detail can't just be how the center snaps the ball, or the center has to do this, or the quarterback does this. It has to be. The stuff you need to know to understand that football player and extract the best out of them and how to build a culture. Because one of the things we said last Sunday when we talked about the follow-on to the Michigan Rose Bowl game was the degradation of the Alabama culture thanks to rule changes, blah, 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 blah. I get that. The culture is still strong, but what's going to carry it through this, this, this period of transition at the end of the day? That same thing, a coach being able to pull that together. I'm not sure Lane Kiffin can do it. Do I think he can't? Do I think it's possible? Certainly. But I really like how Lanning has worked with Oregon. I think it's a huge feather in his cap to get a guy like Bo Nix to come back, similar to what Nick Saban did with Bryce Young and Will Anderson in the Sugar Bowl uh, now two seasons ago. Like, look, I hate the fact that – the opt-out culture is a thing. Like, I think there's something to be said for committing to an organization through the end of the season, even if you might run a risk for that. I think there's something to be said for there. And for your top line, for you as a coach, 
to be able to generate that, pull that out of your players on the top line, I think that's rare, and I think that's valuable, Fish. That's why, you know, if I had, again, dictatorial powers over college football, send the Jet to Eugene, Oregon, get me a Dan Lanning, bring him back, and we'll go. If Lanning decides to stay in Oregon and it's Lane Kiffin, I'll – there are some things that, again, we've talked about the stories that we've heard. There are some things that I'll have to get past. But it's kind of like what, whatever, whenever you talk to professional football fans and you try and bash – like, for me, I'm in Mobile. It's the New Orleans Saints. Try and bash the Saints to a Saints fan. Well, damn it, he might be our idiot. He might be an idiot, but he's our idiot. If Lane Kiffin's going to be our idiot, then damn it, he's our idiot, and I'll defend him until I'm like, go away. But give me Dan Lanning as a, a just a you know dictatorial college football power. You know, give me that. What thing? What's the classic metaphor? If you could rule the world for one day, what would you change? Well, if I could rule the college football world for one day, given what I've said with folks that aren't going to leave, I'll take Dan Lanning at Alabama Fish. Well, and you know, I, I think something else that that needs to be discussed about Dan Lanning is, you know, especially with the way, you know, I, I don't know if you've seen this or not, Thomas. And, and, you know, this isn't somebody that, you know, is a source of mine. But you know, before we started recording, um, there's a lot of you know former Alabama Nick Saban players that are running around on Twitter talking about that it's already a done deal with Dan Lanning. It's, it's over and done with, which and, and maybe the next topic needs to be my experience with the head coaching search that I went through when I was at Alabama after, hell, I'd only been there for six months when it happened. But do, do I think that Uncle Phil Knight has enough money where he might could, you know, talk Dan Lanning off the edge between now, I mean, the ledge, excuse me, between now and Saturday and, you know, make some under-the-table deal with him that's off the books that convinces him to stay to Oregon? Yeah, that that's certainly a possibility. But the reason that I'm siding with you, and I, and I think that Lanning – is is the better choice of all the choices that have been kind of tossed up to me this afternoon is you know he he is either played college football um and and you know he grew up in Missouri um I don't even know where William Jewell University is but he was a linebacker there for three years but but you know he he's worked you know in the Midwest He's worked in Pennsylvania. He's worked in Texas, Alabama, the state of Tennessee at Memphis, um, the state of Georgia, um, and, you know, now in the Pacific Northwest. So, you know, he's well-traveled, and he knows the recruiting footprint in, in multiple different geographic areas where, um, you, you know, he, he's got relationships, Um you know, albeit not necessarily as a head coach, but, you know, he, he's been a high school or a college football coach for, you know, 15 years. Um, now, that being said, you, you could kind of say the same thing about Lane Kiffin. Um, 
you know, the only two teams that, that he didn't beat this year in the SEC were Alabama and Georgia. And that's, you know, especially as we transfer, you know, in, into the 12-team the college football playout land, uh, landscape of next year, um, Lane Kiffin would have made the college football playoff this year. Absolutely. At um, Ole Miss, which ain't an easy thing to do. Um, and, and, you know, with what he's done at Ole Miss the last two seasons, you, you know, he's got a job there for life if, if he can, you know, go of another five-year stretch with doing what he's done um, the last couple of years. You know, you win 10 games a year at Ole Miss, um, you, know, you go win your bowl game, um, they'll keep you there forever. So, you know, he, yeah. he is at a place right now um, where he's got a job for life. And I think, you know, Old Miss was kind of forced to step up to the plate with the, what, month-long flirtation, um, you know, with the Auburn job. And, and, and one of the areas where he forced, you know, for a school like Old Miss, they have more billionaire boosters than Auburn and Alabama has. Um, you know, Alabama's got one that, that you know, all their uh, uh, legal business entities are off the books and Paul Bryant Jr., because, you know, his are so, you know, he's in the catfish industry, he's in the reassurance industry, but, you know, he's made most of his money in the gambling industry. So a lot of that stuff, um, you know, is privately held in LLCs and it never gets reported, but, I, I'm, I, I know for a fact that Paul Bryant Jr. is a billionaire. Um, but, you know, I think Ole Miss has like three or four, you know, and then you've got guys, you know, that love football at Ole Miss, like um, John Grisham, the, the author, and, uh, uh, oh, God, what's the older um, African-American actor? Uh He was the the uh, the 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 big guy in uh, um, Shawshank Redemption. Um, Morgan Freeman. Yes, he's a big old Miss donor. <laughs> um, so you know, there, there's Today a I learned. But, but what but what that flirtation with Auburn? The the main reason why Lane Kiffin stayed put was is is the administration forced. Um, you know, the booster network over there to, you know, uh, make promises as to how much money they would donate to the athletic department for, for Lane Kiffin to go into the portal and run wild. And he has certainly done that. Might not be a better, you know, college football head coach right now. Well, um, in, in, in raiding the transfer portal and getting players. And, and look. And, and I got to I gotta give him, you know, some props on this, Thomas. Um, you know, the, the nonsense that he had to go through for about a month, um, you know, with the, uh, the running back Judkins. True. Um, and, and, and Lane finally just telling him, you know, you know pound sand. I think he is still trying, maybe even today, to, to go back to Old Miss. But, you know, he, he made some NIL demands last year that Lane met. And, you know, at the end of this season, if, if CBS or ESPN wanted to take his picture, 
Judkins wanted a check for it. So, you know, there, there's pros and cons, um, you, you know, with uh, however this, you know, head coaching search works out for Alabama, um, you know, in the next seven, you know, 72 hours, if we're going to hold, uh, you know, what Greg Byrne told the current players. And, and you know, kudos to him if he already does have his guy locked up. Um, I, I do think if he can make an official announcement, whether it's to the public, even if it's to the team in private, you know, that he's got that guy locked up by Saturday, I certainly think that will potentially diminish um, what could possibly happen to that roster. Right. Um, you know, you know. let me say this, um, because because a lot of people thought when uh, Holloman Wiggins left and, and took the job, um, where'd he go, Texas A&M? Yes, sir. Yeah. You know, they thought that was going to be the end of the, the Ryan Williams recruitment. Um, the, the, the key figure in that whole recruitment has always been Tavarius Robinson, T-Rob. Um, if, if whoever the new head coach ends up being retains T-Rob, um, I think you'll still see that recruitment have a happy ending. Now, one of T-Rob's big selling points to his one-year former teammate, Ryan Williams' dad, was Saban's process. Um, that probably could have led without any guarantees that T-Rob would be retained between now and Saturday. You know, that's probably what spurred the decommitment. Uh, but if he is retained, um, I still think Alabama's got a good shot of hanging on to Ryan Williams. All right. And, and this all kind of falls under the, the umbrella of, you know, Nick Saban, he's – I refuse to believe he's going to be just a ghost. Um, and I'm not saying that, oh, my God, the ghost of Nick Saban's going to haunt that building because it's not. But his opinion might be solicited for the next head coach. Well, Ryan, Ryan, as we're, as we're talking about all this. Sure. I mean, uh, Ryan, Ryan, Thomas. Sorry, <laughs> I had Ryan Williams on my mind. That's okay. Um, this, this, this was just texted to me, and this is coming from – and this, this – you know, goes along with what we've already talked about. Um, this is coming from the uh, Alabama 247 site. Uh, breaking, Alabama's expected to name Dan Laning as the, ne the next head coach of the Crimson Tide tomorrow afternoon. Oh, my Her, I don't even know who in the hell Brett McMurphy is, but that's the person that sent this tweet out. Yeah. I think he works for ESPN, actually. Uh, he did. Now he doesn't. Um oh. I'll, I mean, that, that's, I know he's the leader in the clubhouse, so it's, it's, uh, it's, it's one of those things. We'll see. Well, um, and, and Thomas, let me say this, but before we started recording this show, um, and, and, you know, I was a player at Alabama, you know, I've had, you know, one source after another on that staff. I don't have, I don't even have one now. I've got a friend of mine that does. Um, but, you know, I've had one, two, three, four, five assistant coaches since Nick Saban's been there um, that I had a personal relationship with. But for all of the former Nick Saban players that were on social media and when we started recording and they were all saying, 
And it lines up with what Greg Byrne told the team, that he would have an announcement for him by Saturday. Um, they were all saying, and, you know, odds are a lot of these guys have, you know, people that are still in the Malmore Athletic Facility that they talk to, because I, I certainly have had. Um, but they all were saying the same thing, that it was a done deal with Dan Lanning. Well, and, and uh, look, again, going back to what I said before, if it's Lane Kiffin, I will hold my nose, and he might be occasionally an idiot that does stupid drunk things, but damn it, he's our idiot that occasionally does stupid drunk things. So yeah. I'll, 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 bre- I'll, okay, fine. But, I, but I let's, take, let's go to, yeah. let's go to um, the uh, miserable, 30 days that I lived through yeah, that's as what a true I, I, freshman. See, so so, so here we go. Here we go. Line I, I, it, I, got, it up. <laughs> I got two for you. I want to hear more about the coaching search you were a player for. And then we're going to, we're going to close on a positive note because I kind of feel like we have had a somber show and we're going to talk about favorite either teams or favorite memories from Nick Saban's tenure. So you know we might get a little might get a little dusty in here, but let, let's go let's go. What you had to deal with as a player first off, with the coaching search you were on campus for. I have no problem, and I can condense that down pretty quickly. But if you're wanting to talk about, and I and I'm good for another hour, but if you're wanting to talk about my favorite memories of Nick Saban, you, you might want to allow for some more time for the two of us. Hey, look, uh, I got there's no, a bunch look, of them. This is important. We've got Patreon folks that are asking for it. I've been talking to people. I think it's important for both to talk about the future and to have a little bit of catharsis because from everything I understand, this was a surprise to everybody. We've said it on this program. My cell phone has been lighting up from multiple people that listen to the show or know me personally. So so we can go a little bit longer. It's not a big deal. But, you know, let, let's, let's get – I want, actually am interested to hear this because – when you were an undergrad on campus at Alabama, I was much younger. <laughs> so, so I don't have. I'm just going with much younger and leave it at that. <laughs> hey, hey, Thomas, I, I I can remember pretty vividly, um, you know, fifteen to ten years ago when I was you on one of these conversations talking to somebody that was like my age now, and now the, the roles are reversed. So, um, I get it. Um, the more things but change, no, the more they um, stay the same, but please go ahead with your story of yeah, coaching. Yeah. Search. When, um, you know, I, I reported to Alabama as a true freshman, um, in, in August of 1989, um, you know, if, if people that are old enough to remember Thomas, you may not be one of them, but by Alabama standards, especially post Bear Bryant's death and retirement, the 1989 season was wildly successful. Um, you know, they, they, you know, we were actually, um, undefeated, uh, until we went down there to the haunted house on the plains and played Auburn and, and, you know, kind of lost a heartbreaker down there at Auburn. Um, you know, we still, you know, went to, um, the sugar bowl and played Miami and they were just, you know, that was peak Miami. 
Um, you know, Jimmy Johnson had left and gone to the Dallas Cowboys and left, uh, you know, Dennis Erickson with just an absolutely loaded roster. Um, one of the best college football teams I ever saw. And, you know, we came out on the short end of the stick against Miami. So, you know, I think Bill Curry finished that season maybe 10-2. and two. Um, and, and Bill Curry – um, was was wildly successful, in my opinion, um, as the Alabama head coach, except he couldn't beat Auburn. And, I, you know, I have heard reason... that much, but go ahead. I'm sorry. Okay. No, no, you're good. And, and, and But, you know, the, the reason that he never beat Auburn is Patrick, uh, Pat Dye, you know, had, had recruited like a banshee. And, and I, I even experienced this, and it was a tough – you know, decision for me to make because, you know, the the three coaches that recruited me um, for Auburn were Pat Dye, uh, Neil Calloway, the offensive line coach, who was an Alabama Bear Bryant player, um, and Pat Sullivan, who actually won the Heisman Trophy and went to the same high school that I did, John Carroll in Birmingham. And, and so, you know, there was a lot of, you know, it was a tough deal for me. And like, when I would go to an Alabama practice, uh, my junior, senior year, I mean, their players just, especially at the position that I was, you know, I, I'd never played offensive line, um, in high school up until, um, you know, the last, I think three games of my high school career, um, I was a tight end and a, you know, basically a, a stand-up defensive end, and uh, but 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 the way that the Auburn players looked on the hoof physically was was noticeably different than what the Alabama team looked like, and so that that was a, a tough thing for me to overcome because I wanted to look like one of those Auburn players, you know, twelve to eighteen months after I got into college, not like what the Alabama offensive linemen looked like. And and so, um, you know, I, I had a, a, a booster, an Alabama booster that, you know, belonged to the same gym that I did. And, you know, he said, listen, I'm just telling you this right now. Um, Bill Curry will not be your head coach at Alabama the whole time that you're there. Um, you know, he's probably going to be gone before year two that you're there. And I was like, well, that seems – a little far-fetched, but hell, it proved to be true. And, um, you know, when I got to Alabama, they had a, an athletic director change. Uh, I would say inside of my first three months, that's when Hootie Ingram came in. And I'll just say this, Hootie Ingram is one of my favorite, um, former Alabama people. I would put him, you know, way ahead of Gene Stallings. I mean, the guy actually, like, really cared about the players, um, you know, was always positive and upbeat. And so, um, you know, there's this, you know, like, urban legend out there that, you know, Bill Curry left Alabama to take the head coaching job at Kentucky. Um, he didn't do that voluntarily. He was told to go find another job. 
I'm not even sure if we'd have won the national championship that, that year, if that hadn't have changed. And so, you know, we, I mean, it literally, I think the deal had been done before he went to the sugar bowl in 89, because I think inside of a week after we came back, he had left and, you know, the coaching search started and, you know, like once a week, um, you know, Hootie Ingram would meet with the team and, you know, like give us an update on the head coaching search. And, you know, in the initial meeting in tears, you know, Hootie Ingram told us, you know, and I got to paraphrase without using a lot of bad language, even though Drew's not on here tonight. Um, you know, fellas, I'm about to go out there and get y'all the best GD coach in college football. And, and based on mine and everybody else's experiences, although it had not been very long, you know, with Hootie, we believed him. Um, he told us one night before we, you know, left the complex and, and went and ate dinner and went to bed that he was going to get Bobby Bowden. Now, I'm not going to go into all the conspiracy theories and, and all the stuff that deep sixed that higher, um, but it didn't happen. And then, like, maybe the next week that he met with us, um, he, he said that he was going to go hire Howard Schnellenberger. And, you know, who at the time, um, you know, that's the guy that made Miami, Miami's football program into what it was. Um, and, and he was, you know, at that time, currently the, the University of Louisville's head coach, which fast forward another 12 months to December that, you know, his Louisville team absolutely beat the shit out of us in the Fiesta Bowl. Um, I was the starting left guard in that game, um, had, had really didn't have a lot of background into the guy, uh, but I got my ass handed to me by a guy named Ted Washington, um, who ended up playing 15 years in the NFL and, and, you know, won several Super Bowl rings playing nose guard for the New England Patriots. And once I, you know, got out of school and, you know, was, was, you know, in the gen pop working, um, I found out that I think Hootie and the president at the time, Roger Sayers, um, went and interviewed Howard at his house in Louisville. And, you know, the, the story that was relayed to me was that Howard and his wife, more so the wife than Howard, um, was so drunk during the in-person interview, um, Hootie probably still would have pulled the trigger, but the Alabama president, Roger Sayers, wouldn't let him do it. So now, now we've got the two top guys off the list. And, and then um, the next meeting that we had was, you know, hey, guys, I don't even know if y'all know who this guy is. He just got fired from the Phoenix Cardinals. But, I, but I'm fixing to hire Gene Stallings, but I'm going to hire half the coaching staff. And, and you know, Hootie was accurate on that because, you know, he, he had been, I want to say maybe the athletic director at Clemson at the time before he came to Alabama. And I know for a fact he personally hired Brother Oliver, Mike Dubose, Larry Kirksey, Woody McCorvey, and Ellis Johnson 
Stallings was allowed to bring Mal Moore, um, the offensive line coach, Mike Solari, and one other guy. Um, I think, oh, yeah, Lance Van Zant, the, the inside linebackers coach who didn't last a season because he showed up to practice every day drunk. And, and so, you know, that, that dynamic, I mean, Thomas, it kind of took place in a condensed three-week period, but I was sitting there going, wait a second, we've gone from the best current college football coach in the country in Bobby Bowden to Howard Schnellenberger, who I was all about because I, I know what he had, you know, done, you know, building that Miami program up to the fired head coach of the Phoenix Cardinals, you know, th this, this doesn't add up. Um, and, 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 you know, you, you take that as a player and, and you put it in, you know, under a microscope and you start looking at it the way the, the, um, the trend of the program went, um, you know, after that, you know, the first thing that happened that made me cause, uh, pause a little bit was that Gene Stallings didn't retain the best offensive coordinator in college football that I've ever had a personal relationship with, Homer Smith. And I was like, well, right out of the gate, uh, you know, this guy got rid of Homer. So he comes in and he wants to turn us into Nebraska. And I'm like, well, wait a second. Uh, our offensive line, like, averages 260 pounds. How the hell are we ever going to be Nebraska? If you want to be Nebraska, you better start recruiting Nebraska offensive linemen. And, you know, I'll say this about Coach Stallings. Um, you know, he thought he was John Wayne. And, and so that and, – and, you know, I, I'm a big believer, you know, Nick Saban, whoever. I'm a big believer in the culture that the head coach sets for the program. You know, it trickles down to the players. And so – you know, Coach Stallings thought he was John Wayne, and, you know, eventually most of us thought we were as well. So, you know, year one, we go seven and five, but we beat Tennessee and Auburn. Um, and, and that really was a dynamic that, that changed a lot of things. And so year two, um, you know, we got the shit beat out of us by Florida in game two. But from game two of the 91 season, until my senior year in 93 when LSU beat us, you know, we didn't lose another game. It's one of the, you know, the law. I think Georgia um, just this year broke that winning streak. Right, 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 right. absolutely. And, and, and so, you know, uh, and, and there was a lot of good – there was a lot of good talent there that Perkins had recruited that I played with, you know, guys like Kevin Turner, um you know, the list goes on and on, but, uh, you know, you know, and, and even in my recruiting class, you know, a lot of guys that weren't highly rated, uh, Lemansky Hall turned out to be a fantastic player. Antonio London, um, you know, was a highly, he, he was, Antonio London was the only player in our freshman class that was rated higher than me. Um, so you had Antonio London. Um, you know, John Copeland didn't qualify, so he had to go to JUCO. Um, but, you know, it, you know, side story to this, and this is why we were so good when I was there, 
when John Copeland first showed up from junior college in the spring of 90, wait, yeah, wait, 91, um, when when Mike Dubose would call John Copeland to go out and, and do a one-on-one Oklahoma drill with an offensive lineman, I was the first person to raise my hand. I'm like, oh, hell yeah, I'll, I'll take this Copeland cat. He's terrible. Uh, that was in April of 91. Thomas, by uh, August of 91, if Dubose called out John Copeland to uh, – you know, be the D lineman in the Oklahoma drill. I was like, oh, my chin straps broke. Somebody else go deal with it. You know, that's how quickly Mike <laughs> wow. Dubos, that's how quickly Mike Dubos manufactured him into an elite player. I mean, he had the potential, but Mike Dubos drew it out of him. And, you know, th- there was all kinds. We, we might even need to have a, a designated off-season uh, BAMS radio show about the stuff that I witnessed um, you know, Bill Oliver hated Lemansky Hall. Lemansky Hall was a safety. Bill Oliver didn't like it. Uh, Ellis Johnson said, hey, brother doesn't want you at safety anymore. Uh, c- come play outside linebacker for me. And I think Lemansky played outside linebacker in the NFL for seven years. Um, so there was so many good, and, and they were all former Bear Bryant guys, but there were so many good position coaches um, you know, on that, that team that I played for, for, you know, basically four years, um, you know, the, the players got developed and, 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 you know, that's something that just didn't really happen under, under Curry. And, and I'll say this, if Ray Perkins had stayed at Alabama, I, I think he would have had a lot of success because the guy could recruit. Um, he, he had a lot, of, you know, Derek Thomas wasn't a, a, a high, you know, four or five star recruit when he came out of high school, but Ray Perkins thought he was the best linebacker in the country. Um, just like Nick Saban thought a lowly rated four star from Lawrenceburg, Tennessee named Deontay Hightower, Donta Hightower was the best linebacker in the country and hell he was right about Donta. So it's interesting how all this stuff intertwines, whether it was 30 years ago or, you know, 2024 in January. Um, You know, however this works out, I think if it ends up being, you know, Dan Lanning or, you know, whoever, I, I, I would feel really comfortable as long as the replacement is a former, you know, do you think I would sit here, uh, Saturday or Sunday if we do a show and and if it turns out to be Dan Lanning that I would be critical of a guy that cut his teeth with Nick Saban and Kirby Smart and he's been pretty damn successful at Oregon absolutely not well and I think that's the thing um and first off us we will be doing a Sunday show we 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 owe it to our Patreons but this was kind of a special circumstance that said Whoever th- we we said this before, and I want to put a point on it. Then we're gonna kind of we're kind of wrap up the show and talk about some fun things. Whoever Alabama hires, whether it's Dan Lanning, Lane Kiffin, Kirby Smart, and I know Kirby Smart's not coming. I'm just I'm throwing a name out there for the absurdity. That's Nick Saban's handpicked successor. 
you know, the guy who yep. just had arguably the greatest run ever in college football. And I don't want to get into the particulars of that. There were arguments you can make left, right, and center. That's the guy that the guy who just did it thinks can keep doing it at a very, very high level. I'm good with that. Like, I, I, I'm good with that. Have I said that there are some things with Lane Kiffin that kind of make me grit my teeth? Absolutely. No, no. There, but, there, there's some There's some with me, too. I'm not disagreeing with you on there. Right. And also, too, let's stick to your original plan and make the last segment be and, – and you started off, but let's yes. make the, the last segment be your favorite memories of Nick Saban at Alabama and mine. Sure. Uh, that that's where I was going next. So, you know, fish. If you get, if you get tired of this 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 making lots of money, otherwise you could do the radio hosting gig. So <laughs> I'm I'm gonna give I'm you. Not, I'm not a host. I'm not a host, Thomas. I'm a color guy. Well, there you go. So I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna go slightly different. I'm gonna give you my two favorite teams, and I'm gonna give you why. So I I will forever love that 2009 undefeated team. Because, you know, Alabama's back, they go, they beat Florida in a wild game. I was actually an undergraduate at the University of Alabama at the time. But the way the national title game fell, I was at home in Mobile, Alabama at my parents' house. And, you know, of course, Alabama fans are overjoyed that they're back at winning the national championship. And there's an academy local to Mobile. I drive an old beat-up Ford F-150 pickup truck. And I'm like, you want to go try and get national championship gear? And I'll never forget it. We drive into the parking lot of this large shopping center, and there are people, like, flat-out tearing hamstrings up sprinting to get into line to get national championship gear. I turn to my mom. I'm like, Mom, can we go tomorrow? And she's like, uh, yeah, this is insane. <laughs> so that was 2009, the Texas game the Texas win, and then just kind of coming back. Again, I'd gotten to go because I was undergrad then. I, you know, I saw the Mark Ingram wild elephant 246-yard rushing game. All that was great. It was kind of, I'll admit that was not as impressive as we thought at the time. But anyhow, and my other favorite memory of just a team was the 2020 team. That team to me – I think I think if you if you gave Nick Saban a shot of truth serum, he would say his best coaching job was this past one. But the 2020 team to me was peak, peak Alabama, peak Nick Saban. Everything came together in an unbelievable way. We're talking about a football team that if Jalen Waddle doesn't have his injury against Tennessee, the quarterback of it, Mac Jones, wins the Heisman Trophy. So instead, the wide receiver one wins the Heisman Trophy. A team that, outside of a wild SEC championship game, beat every team by over 14. Like, if you if you stop that SEC title game, where Alabama's up, I believe, 35-16 against Florida... Alab that that 2020 team is the best football team ever. Like the offense was functionally unstoppable. The only reason that Alabama did not put up as many points as they did in the semifinal game against Notre Dame is because Notre Dame was built to try and limit possessions. So those two teams to me for a variety of reasons plus COVID pandemic, you know, 
uncertainty, and this team just comes together, circles the wagons, beats a really, re- like that Georgia team was really, really good. A lot of people want to throw Kirby Smart's 2020 Georgia team to the Wolves because they didn't make the SEC title game. The defense that Alabama scored 41 on and the defense that Florida beat probably six to seven weeks later was missing like six or seven starters. And oh, by the way, the core of that defense made up next year's defense, which was unbelievable statistically. So for me, I'm just going to give you my two favorite teams. That doesn't mean I didn't love watching Derrick Henry do Derrick Henry things. And I'll tell you a funny story about that. I was sitting in my first doctoral candidate class, and I had an iPad, and I was 100% not paying attention to that syllabus because I was watching the doggone football game on my iPad. I got so much side-eye from my doctoral candidate colleagues. I was just like, too bad. Get over it. But, Fish, what were your favorite Nick Saban memories from this past, gosh, 17 years? Well, first of all, I mean, because all of my Georgia and LSU fans tell me um, that that the, the 2020 national championship has an asterisk by it uh, because of COVID. I, I you know I just I just can't count it because um, you know like I've told all of them uh, I'm, I'm I'm being facetious. Um, oh, so you know we're supposed to get dinged because Nick Saban navigated the COVID situation better than everybody else. Um, and, and don't get me wrong that that was a special season with God Almighty. The, the list of players, I mean, Najee Harris, Landon Dickerson, Devontae Smith, I mean, it, it, Mac Jones, I mean, it goes on and on and on. But for me, the clear-cut um, top memory is the 2008 season. And why is because, and, and I hate to give uh, Mike Sheila any credit whatsoever, but the one good thing that he did do when he was the head coach, and, you know, you get all the excuses, so all he had to deal with all the sanctions and the loss of scholarships, this, that, and the other. But the one thing that him and his staff did do, Thomas, was they were pretty good at identifying diamonds in the rough. So at the, by the end of the 2008 season, you know, Nick Saban only lost one game to Florida in the SEC championship game. And he was able to do it with my math, and I'm doing this off the top of my head. I want to say it was with 17 former, you know, Nick Saban, I mean, uh, Mike Shula recruits um, that, that were – the mainstays of that team. And, you know, what, what happened was is they were, you know, Shula couldn't develop anybody, but he had recruited some really good players, you know, and, and, you know, you know, after one year or 18 months under Nick, um, you know, they beat Clemson. Um, that, I've that got a funny story about started, that Clemson game. Once you're done, I promise. Well, that, that probably started the demise where, you know, Tommy Bowden was fired. Um, but I'll never forget this as long as I live. Um, and, and, you know, this is kind of a controversial, you know, former Alabama position coach, but that, that's always, you know, seemed to be who I gravitate to and end up being hooked up with. 
But I'll never forget getting a phone call from Lance Thompson the Monday after the Georgia blackout ass whooping. And, uh, you know, there's two people that kind of, uh, you know, changed my name from William to Will. My, the first one was my ex-wife. The second one was Lance Thompson. And so I get a phone call like at lunchtime on Monday after the Georgia blackout game. And he goes, Will, it's, it's happening, dude. I'm like, well, what do you mean? What's happening? He goes, we have gotten phone calls yesterday and this morning from every five-star recruit in the country that wants to come visit Alabama. He said, it's happening, dude. And I was like, well, shit, I'll, I'll take your word for it. Go sign them. And, 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 but, you know, if you go back and you look at that team, you know, and I'm not looking at my phone. I'm just, I'm just taking this off the top of my head. I think the only starters in 08 that were Nick Saban recruits were uh, Kareem Jackson, who was a JUCO guy that Nick signed, Julio Jones. You know, Mark Ingram wasn't even tailback one, but he he did play a huge role. I mean, I, I want to say it was like 17 or 18, you know, former, you know, Mike Shula players that went into that season. And, you know, the only, you know, dragon they couldn't slay you know was that tim tebow um led team which goes back to your 2009 memory when they did slay that dragon right um you know that you know they had uh uh you know maybe even donta hightower by the end of that year was a starter so it was only like three or four guys thomas that were nick saban guys it was the guys that bought into you know, Saban's process, the fourth quarter program um, that, that, that made that team what it was. And, you know, they, they, you know, they just did a remarkable job. Um, I think both the coaching staff, you know, and the players. And, and probably, um, you know, my second one was the 2016 team. Um, and, and, you know, I watched this unfold in multiple spring practices um and 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 in august um it was obvious the first time that i saw jalen hurts you know play quarterback you know uh, against you know and you know guys that were highly rated you know we're talking about blake barnett david cornwell and cooper bateman um but it was obvious the first scrimmage I went to in the spring of, of uh, 16 that, you know, Jalen Hurts was the best guy that they had. Not saying that he was, you know, the best quarterback in the history of Alabama football, but for that particular season and, you know, he, he won all the accolades based on his performance. And th that's what I always respected about Nick Saban is if, if he had to make a position move, he let the leaders of the team dictate who that change needed to be. And, you know, an, an alpha guy that, you know, I think you and I can both agree on is, is credited for, you know, coming to Nick. Hell, he didn't even play on offense. But Jonathan Allen went to Nick in, in like the first or second scrimmage of August, and he said, Coach, I know he's a true freshman, 
But we got no answer for Hurts. That's who our quarterback needs to be. And, and you know, and I, I know what this narrative is going to be on the back end. You know, Jalen uh, led the team to an undefeated regular season, won the SEC championship, and, you know, kind of um, – Mess, you know, couldn't necessarily get the job done against Clemson. I, you know, I, I don't necessarily give that to a failure to Jalen Hurts as a true freshman. Um, I give I give the credit to uh, the number one overall draft pick, Deshaun Watson. Um, but those those are my two best memories. Um, you know, Thomas. You know, in that time span. But the the one that will always stick out to me was getting that phone call from Fun Pants Lance Thompson um, the Monday after that blackout game against Georgia in, in 2008 and saying, you know, hey, we're cooking with grease right now. Every top recruit wants to come see us. See, I didn't know all of those particulars, but that uh, that that's – Wow. And, and, you know, the, the, I mentioned the story from 2008. Um, I was dating a young lady from Cle- who was in an undergrad at Clemson. And I actually spent, like, an extended weekend over there the week before Bama Clemson. And all of her friends and friends of mine that I would met over there were all like, you're going to come back for the Alabama v. Clemson game. Because if you remember, Alabama was like a, you know, number 24 or something like that. And oh, Clemson, no, they were the underdog in the game, big time. Yeah. No, oh, no yeah. doubt. Oh, yeah, and Clemson, had re- they were like preseason top ten. They had C.J. Spiller, who would go into a long NFL career, and another gentleman whose name escapes me. But, you know, Clemson was on that short list of could make at least what we now know as the New Year's Six and potentially fringe national title. And Alabama just beat that ass. I mean, I, I'll, I'll say that. They just smoked them. And a couple of guys who were talking trash to me, I sent them a text message in the fourth quarter. I'm like, so did you want me to come back and watch the game with you? I will not tell you, I will not tell you those replies because I don't think either of us are old enough to deal with that kind of language right now. But, but right. yeah. And, and the thing about it is, like, it, it, I hate that it happened. It was going to happen no matter what. But, man, this has been fun. And, and if you'll pardon the call to arms, Yes, be critical of the new coach, but you know, let let him do things his way. And if it doesn't work, then Bam's radio will be absolutely on the forefront of what the hell is this? And well, Thomas, there's there's one more story um, that that I don't think I've ever shared on Bam's that that I'm going to share now, and I'm going to try and make it as politically correct as I can. But this was, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, when, you know, Nick Saban stood up on that podium and, um, you know, said what he said that, you know, you know, we're here, um, you know, to dominate our, our opponent that lives across the state from us 365 days a year. Um, you know, th- that, that proclamation in itself was a shot across the bow to me and and it was great to hear even though nick wasn't able to you know make good on it until the next year in 2008 but but this one um you know kind of really told me because and and i say this but i say it with bated breath because 
it's going to be viewed as me being a revisionist history, you know, dick. But what Nick Saban said about what he found at Alabama once he got there, and the credit goes to um, Mal Moore for letting Nick Saban do exactly what he wanted to do and getting rid of all these people. You know, Thomas, when I was at Alabama, um, you know, in the late 80s and the early 90s, um, now, Hootie Ingram tried to change the culture. But, you know, in reality, the culture was that football program was run like a Southern country club. It was a good old boy network. You know, nobody could be hired unless Leroy Jordan was contacted out in Dallas, Texas. And, and that, you know, that just is what it was. I lived it. So, you know, if anybody wants to argue with me about it, you know, fuck you. I, I saw it firsthand. Um, but but the, the biggest gift that Nick Saban gave us Alabama fans was this. I want to say it was – well, there, there were people fired um, after Nick's introductory press conference and some of the same ones that tried to deep six as higher were some of the first ones to go. But Nick Saban was so suave and intelligent about this, and, and he made this change inside of 60 days. So after he accepted the job on, what was it, January 7th, 2007, you know, it wasn't I long. It, I think it was six year. because he had that seven and six okay. year, but yeah. Uh, all right, but, but th this all took place inside of 60 days of him getting the job. So he, he goes around and he evaluates every person in the building, from the janitor to the secretary, um, you know, to, to all the people that are working in that building. And this is 100% true. Um, it may not be popular, but this is exactly how Nick started all of us Alabama fans down to the path to greatness. So he makes his, you know, in-person evaluations. He interviews everybody in that building. You know, from the janitors to, you know, the secretaries to the administration people. And he goes to Mal Moore and he says, Coach, um, we got a problem. And Mal says, well, you know, Coach, what's the problem? He goes, we got a culture problem. And, and Mal's like, well, what's the culture problem? Nick Saban says to Mal, 78.6 of the parents that are to come through this building in the next 12 months are African-American. It's, it's just an undeniable fact. Um, I, walk, I walk the halls, and the majority of the people that are working here are old-ass white folk. Guess what? If seventy-eight point percent six of the of the people, uh, parent-wise, that are coming through my building with while I'm the head coach, are going to be black, guess what? We gonna match them with seventy-eight point six percent of the people that they see in this building are black too. 
I, wow. And the, wow. And, and there you have it. I mean, I I got nothing, man. That that's a I, look. I, I'm not saying you're wrong. That's just a wild story. That, that's and I'm, I'm not even sure how. I it's a hundred percent true. Oh. Trust me. Oh no, I'm, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just like, what? <laughs> okay, okay. Well, fish. Why don't we go in and, and get trust out of here? me, Thomas? Hey. When I was there from '89 to '93, it was a blue-haired white building. Oh man. Well, and and thank. Thank heavens for Nick Saban doing that because you want to see what that looks like in the modern era. Um, take a look over in Austin, Texas. Now, Steve Sarkeesian <laughs> deserves a ton of credit for getting Texas to the college football playoff. He also deserves a ton of credit for beating the Alabama Crimson Tide in this past season. But I don't think that there is a Texas fan that has, you know, not undergone a multiple lobotomy that would take the Texas culture over the Alabama culture, given what we've seen since Alabama beat Texas in 2009 to today. So thank you. Well, Thomas, I mean, that's the whole reason why, um, even though it was a legit possibility, um, that that's the the main reason why, and, and it was a legit threat to happen. But what you just described at, at Austin, Texas, is, is the main reason why Nick Saban walked away from that you know huge financial offer that he had to leave Alabama and go to Texas is because of the culture. Well, you hey. know he had fixed the culture at Alabama. He, he, he didn't want to have to do it again, um, you know, not, not so much with, um, you know, the racial side of it that he did with Alabama, but, you know, you, you've got the oil barons and you've got the Longhorn Network. Like, you know, when they were trying to, you know, entice Nick Saban to come to Texas, you know, one of the biggest deal breakers was, oh, by the way, um, if you come here and you take the Texas job, there's going to be a camera sitting in the, the, the coach's conference room from the Longhorn Network that's going to film every damn minute of every meeting that you have with your coaches so we can put it up on the Longhorn Network. And Nick Saban was like, uh, fuck that. I've already, I've already fixed this problem at Alabama. And – I don't want uh, the, the Texas boosters uh, to be filming me in, in my coaches' meetings. You know, when I've got a damn half a pack of Redman Gold parked in my Jeep. Right. And so so I'll tell you a funny story about that, and then we can get out of here. So, and let, let's take a step back. And I believe I've told this story on BAMs. But uh, whenever you write a dissertation for a PhD, you have a committee to review your dissertation. One of my dissertation members happened to kick for Michigan State in the mid to late 80s, where eagle-eyed viewers, listeners will know that Nick Saban was the defensive coordinator at Michigan State. Now, suffice it to say, I will leave the particulars behind, but um, the reason that my dissertation committee member is didn't kick in the NFL was Nick Saban made him run routes against a linebacker the dissertation member 
uh, dissertation member beat an All-American linebacker. Nick Saban lost his mind, and the linebacker went hard, and, you know, bad things happened. That is not to say that Nick Saban is a monster, but that is to say that when bad things happened and the dissertation chair got um, injured in a practice, Nick Saban yelled at the dissertation committee member because he was disrupting his practice. Everybody wants to see Nick Saban as happy old grandpa, and there are some parts of that that are true. There are also parts of it where it's like, you do not want to be in those rooms. Like, you, you just don't. Like, like there's polite society where the cameras are on, and then there's, we got stuff, we got to get stuff done, and oh my god, you did something Nick Saban didn't want you to do, and it's time to get your face chewed off. I'm not endorsing one or the other. I'm saying that they happened. And that, to, to go back to your point, Fish, that was the problem with the Longhorn Network and really with Texas. Folks want to have Nick Saban on speed dial, and they want to be able to do stuff to him, and he's just not going to do it. And that's kind of the dichotomy in my head. Can the next coach do that? Man, I hope so, because that's what, you know, making the football program the pillar where we Alabama is trying to win football games 24-7, 365. And that doesn't mean you can take your brother and your other brother and your other sister through the football building when there's meetings going on. That's going to be the thing that Alabama needs to do. But it remains to be seen. But, you know, Fish, it's been a great – Golly, we've been going almost double what we generally go. Do you have any parting thoughts for our listeners before we get on out of here? Yeah, yeah, I do. Because now that he's retired, I, I can actually like share this story. Um, and, and, and you know, and I think that's just another little small, um, intimate detail um, that, that 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 actually made Nick Saban into who he was once he got to Alabama. Um, when he took the job at LSU, um, and, and you know, I had a really good friend of mine at the time that was working for Jimmy Sexton, who has always been Nick Saban's agent. Um, and, and so, you know, a lot of people don't know this, but Nick Saban was LSU's second choice. Um, they were all set to hire Tommy Tuberville and, you know, what, what, how, how this whole, you know, dysfunctional college football community works. Um, when LSU wanted to hire Tommy Tuberville, um, Tommy had only been at Auburn for one season after leaving Old Miss to go to Auburn, you know, with that famous statement. The only way I leave Old Miss is in a pine box. So my contact with, with Jimmy Sexton um, and Jimmy Sexton are sitting in the, the outer waiting room of, I think, Joe Dean Jr.'s. Uh, that that might have been the, the LSU uh, AD at the time. Um, somebody else can correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know who the hell it was. And so Sexton calls Tommy Tuberville and says, you know, hey, uh, it's your choice, but I'm just letting you know. You're their top candidate. But 
if you leave Auburn after the way that you left Ole Miss last year and you take this LSU job, you you might need to find a new agent because I'm not going to be able to gloss this damn turd over, um, you know, with the way you handled it. Well, their second head coaching candidate was Nick Saban, who was a Jimmy Sexton client. Um, you know, I, I think Jimmy was able to talk Tuberville off the ledge and, and, you know, he didn't take the LSU job, but their next choice was Nick Saban. Nick Saban takes the job. And, you know, this is when we're talking about a young Nick Saban. Um, so, you know, Nick, Nick gets the job. And I don't know if it was three months or six months after he got the job, but when he got it, Nick Saban was a chain cigarette smoker. And he's, you know, when, when this particular incident took place, um, I, you know, I can't really say who the guy was that told me about this, but it's 100% true. So Nick Saban, you know, has gone from the Big Ten where rivalries don't really matter except for the week of the rivalry. And now he's the head coach at LSU. And so he, he's um, in the back of the LSU football complex at the time, um, pacing back and forth on a concrete sidewalk, chain-smoking cigarettes. And a member of the LSU media catches him doing it. And, you know, they posted a picture of it, and it, it, it got a little famous, not really so. But that was when Nick Saban went from being a chain Marlboro light smoker to a chain dipper, or not dipper, but a chewer of Red Man Gulp. You know, there's no plumes of smoke, um, you know, if you're walking around the LSU or the Alabama football complex spitting in a cup. But, you know, there's plume of smokes that can be, you know, traced back. Um, and and so, um, you know, Nick Saban's not perfect. He, he's got his, uh, you know, demons. And But I will say this, Thomas. Um, he is, without a doubt, the greatest college football coach. Um, and, and, you know, I'm not going to say them all on this show because I can't do it and I don't want to. Um, you know, reveal all my sources, but um, what he did at Alabama and, and where this program is today, um, nobody outside of Nick Saban could have done it. They couldn't have come close. And, you know, like when we started talking about this uh, an hour and 57 minutes ago, you know, you said this was going to be a somber show. Um, I, I, you know, I'm going to disagree with that. I mean, yes, is it, did it catch me off guard? Absolutely it did. Um, but based on all the things that I know now in the last two hours, um, if, if they can pull this off with what they've got in place, I don't think it's going to be somber. Um, I, I think you know, the next guy could really shut this transfer portal down real quick starting Saturday if that's when the announcement is made. And I, I think the Alabama nation can get behind the next guy 
really, really quick, only under the, the disguise that that's who Nick Saban wanted his replacement to be. Oh, that's absolutely right. And and I appreciate you you, you pulling the show back together. And, and I, I we'll see. I think that there's a lot of positive uh, that that can come out of this. I hate it. And as I as you said, I was as surprised as you were before we even got recording. I was like, did you know about this? And as we no, come, I did not. Yeah, no, exactly. I did not. No, but like even as you've recorded, you know, I'm I'm picking some of my people that I know, and I'm like, did you know this? Or like, no. I got some colorful metaphors, so I'm just going to leave it no. But at the end of the day, it's been a great 17-year run uh, in the process. Oh, my God, Tom. It's yeah. been unbelievable. You know, in the process, we, we, we've built BAMS Radio into what it is and enjoyed the ride the entire way. BAMS, okay, I want to put this out there. BAMS Radio is not going away because the head coach, the Alabama Crimson Tide, changes. We will have a show next Sunday because I think we're going to be able, based on conversations I've had as we've been recording, we'll be able to talk about the new head coach and reset expectations. Ironically, that would mean the past two general Sunday shows were, this is what we expect in the spring. And this one's going to be, this is what we now expect in the spring. (laughs) And I will absolutely laugh about it. But, you know, let's go in and get out of here, Fish. It's been a great couple hours with you. I really appreciate all the stories and all the talking about, you know, what we expect, where we're going, how it's going to be, et cetera. But, uh, you know, I want to close with this. Thank you very much to Nick Saban. Thank you for sharing the past 17 years of your life and your family's life with the Alabama Crimson Tide fan base. Without a doubt. And, 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 you know, I would like to encourage – you know, the, the, the fans that we do have on a, um, you know, Patreon level, you know, if you've got a question about something that happened um, when I was a player at Alabama or especially now that Nick's retired, um, which there's, you know, been a bunch of stuff um, that's gone on in the last 17 years, you know, chime in, you know, on the Patreon level. And I promise you, if it's something that I can reveal without making um, the person that told me that look like a bad guy, I'll be more than happy to answer it. Absolutely. And and in that mind, I've got to I've got to do a better job as the producer to take those questions. That's my promise to our listeners. You know, I'll, I'll start tweeting that in a more consistent manner. But. That is it for this special edition of BAMS Radio. A little bit longer than normal, but I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash BAMS Radio. That all being said, for William Redfish Barger, I am Thomas the Wizard Watts. It's been a great show. Thank you so much for listening. Good night and roll tide.